Let's see, television this week, Herschel. Do you know what I watched? What did you watch? Well, I watched the first half of the Predator sequel. I've been... Prequel. Pray. It's good. And that's thanks to Stiglitz, one of mm-hmm. our listeners, he told me. Mm-hmm. He said, give that a look. Dude, I totally forgot about that shit. It dropped Friday. It's good. And Friday came and went. And it's I have, good. And I forgot about that shit. And that's supposed to be a, a prequel to... Predator. The first with Danny yeah. Glover. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What's else? Cobra Kai. I'm all caught up. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. What a show. What, really wonderful. Mm-hmm. I saw that Atlanta coming out with one they, the last season. Atlanta's coming out with a final season? Yeah. When's it due for? Uh, August 15th. Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So they just dropped. I mean, they just dropped the season, and they're coming back with another one. All right. Maybe this one will be all about Well, I heard that um, that they had the seasons recorded already. But he's doing right, man. You know, that COVID shit fucked it up. Just get it out there now, Donald. At this point, get it out there while you still can't still got that little buzz for Atlanta. I feel bad talking shit now. Because I was like, what was that season? And it yeah. ended with her in France freaking out. I'm like, okay, that's... Mm-hmm. Is really stupid. Nah, and, and the pre, you know, the previews it shows that they actually probably look like they're back in Atlanta. Paper boy, paper yeah. boy, so, all about that baby boy. So end it where you started it. I'm ready for it. Let's get this money. Let's get this paper. Speaking of getting yeah, this paper, B&B slumlords. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast X. Today, my name is Adam A Bomb. Sitting across from me is Herschel H Bomb. And we are going to blow it up. Yeah. You know who likes the A-bomb, H-bomb thing? Who that? Becca. Ooh. On yeah. uh, on uh, Instagram. No, no, I just get, I like it because, although I think of wrestling when I do it. That's great. Yeah. We're a, we're a hell of a tag team. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of like the Dudley boys, yeah. you know? Yeah. I Twins, like the Duds. One's black, one's white. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta yeah. like the Duds. Devon. Devon, get the tables. Good bit, good wrestlers. Devon. Get the lawyers. Get the lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) On July 8th, 1942, a little baby was born to an unwed mother. She gave him right up for adoption, and the nameless bastard would become Charles Jr. (laughs) When Charles and Catherine Schmid adopted him. Mm, Okay, that's what's up. Charles and Catherine ran Hillcrest Nursing Home in Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And Charles Jr. would become a bit of a prankster hanging around Hillcrest so much. He liked to steal dentures and mess around with dementia patients. And and you, that's a prank. That's, that's the, some Dennis the Menace that's shit. That's not pranks. That's just be a straight up fucking mean, bro. Yeah. <laughs> the boy was curious, intuitive, bright, courteous, and mm-hmm. completely indifferent to others' expectations of him. He took a lot of risks and lived wild without much parental supervision from Hmm. Charles and Catherine. Charles Jr. soon came to hate his adoptive father, and the two would frequently quarrel. Mm. I wonder why all of a sudden he would hate him. I mean, he didn't have that supervision. They probably just take care of that nursery home more than I think that helped. I think that breeds some resentment when Mm -hmm. you're not getting enough attention. Oh, yeah, yeah, hell yeah, that would. At school, Charles Jr. was a below-average student. He would race through his assignments just to be done with them. And as such, he was just above failing. The one thing he excelled in was gymnastics. In 1960, he captained the team that won the high school Arizona State Gymnastics Championship. Mm. 
His senior year, they could have gone back-to-back, but Charles quit gymnastics, claiming he had psychic powers. You see, last year, he saw himself hoisting the trophy in Uh victory. So all he had to do was go with the flow and ride it out, and he would win. Mm -hmm. This year... He just didn't see the same results. Mm, so he already thought that they was going to lose. So I'd be a part of a losing team. He just took the lazy, easy way out yeah. and pretended he could see the future. By his 16th birthday, Charles Jr. was living in his own building on the Hillcrest property with a $300 a month allowance. Mm. That's about $3,000 today. They even gave him a car and motorcycle so he could do his own running around whenever he wanted. He spent most of his free time cruising and picking up chicks, but everyone knew the company he most preferred was his own. Damn. Dude, 3000 a month, bro. I mean, for free. Today's price. 36 racks for free. You don't have to pay for gas. You don't have to pay for your car. You don't My have to dude. pay rent. It's just free. Dude. <laughs> you know what I'll be doing? Probably still in the house, but at least I know I could go anywhere. Yeah. Get anything. Easy. Charles was given the nickname Schmitty, and when he was around, he made everyone in the room feel alive and excited. Mm. He had an almost electric charge about him. Mm. He was a natural ladies' man, even though he was a real odd duck. He used makeup to darken his skin and make his eyes pop, and the chapstick he wore was so thick it made his lips look white. Mm. He also painted a mole on his face that kept getting bigger and bigger. Okay... The strangest damn part of his outfit were his boots. He'd had them custom made based on his own design. They were black and they laced all the way up the back with a tall cowboy heel and pointed toes. Hmm. He would stuff the insides with crushed beer cans and cardboard to make himself taller. That sounds like Beetlejuice and shit. It sounds like gothic girl platform boots but with cowboy boot elements on it i'm definitely thinking marilyn manson beetlejuice yep yep Yep. anything that laces up the back is just strange unless they're like snake boots or women well yeah of course yeah women can do whatever i I just (laughs) i just give them a free reign they can just throw the 10 boots have fun (laughs) to finish his weird sparkly greaser cosplay He was always chewing on a toothpick and working it around his mouth as he talked. When he would show up like this to pick up dates from their parents' house, they were often very skeptical. Smitty would disarm them by saying he was in a rock band, then pile on charm and courtesy to completely fool the parents to not judge a book by its cover. Mm. You should judge this book. He he had a bunch of accessories, though, man. Oh, yeah. He was a poser to the max. Mm Mm-hmm. His best pal on earth was a fellow named Paul Graff. He was sent to a juvenile reform school called Fort Grant after being involved in a stick-up that resulted in a man's death. Damn. After his release, Paul would move in with Smitty on the property. During that time, Smitty was dating several women, one of them married, taking singing lessons and practicing the guitar. Another former Fort Grant student Smitty befriended was a guy named Richie Burns. Richie was a petty thief who kept getting caught, Mm -hmm. and he fit right in with the scumbags. When Smitty turned 21, he finally found out he was adopted. Mm. Catherine gave him the name and address of his real mother, and he, of course, tracked her down. Now, this next story is completely according to Smitty, There's no other corroborating witnesses whatsoever here. Right. When he showed up at his real mother's house, she opened the door slightly and said, I didn't want you when you were born, before you were born, or now. Get out. And then she slammed the door in his face. 
This, if true, would certainly harden your feelings against mothers in general, I imagine. Really, it's hard to tell with a guy like Smitty, though. He constructed his stories to create an illusion and an impression of himself and others, rather than to tell any sort of facts. He was basically just talking to paint a picture. Smitty, more often than not, had five girlfriends at a time and proposed marriage with cheap rings to multiple of them mm -hmm. simultaneously, taking money from them in return for the promise that he'd be a great caretaker and husband. He managed to con most of these women into bed by telling huge lies like how poor and destitute he was as a kid or how he had cancer and didn't have much longer to live. Often all he had to do was get them laughing, and then when she agreed to go to the next level, he'd sniff a little salt and start crying and pretend to be honored to sleep with these women. Damn. Girls were just idiotic toys to him. He showed them no respect and had no remorse for finessing them the way he did. What really interested men and women alike about Smitty was his apparent freedom and ease. He always did exactly what he liked, and his daredevil antics made him almost superhero-esque to us regular folk. Yeah, because I'm not going to do that goofy-ass shit. Dumb. It's really <laughs> dumb. And it wouldn't make me impressed. And most of what he did was designed to make people notice him, then be so concerned about the danger of the stunt that they mm -hmm. try to stop him. I wouldn't. I'd be like, oh, that guy's an idiot. I'm going to look at something else mm -hmm. for a while. Mm -hmm. He's a attention whore. With the makeup and the, and the fake mole and all that yeah, stuff. He's <laughs> cowboy get, boots. It's getting bigger. Are you going to be actually black? Oh, yeah. He's trying to completely melanin up. His favorite activities were motorcycle racing and low-altitude skydiving. That's that flying shit, right? Skydiving? Low-altitude skydiving where you glide? No, that wasn't invented yet. Oh, You're okay. thinking of those uh, squirrel suits? Yeah, there you mm -hmm. go. That wasn't invented. No, I don't think so anyway. Maybe the CIA was using him at the time to try and kill Fidel Castro or something <laughs> before he got into power. I don't know. What did you, why did you think of all that? Is this something about that? No. Oh. I just, I'm trying, like usually the military has cool stuff first, but like skydiving, you know, that <laughs> yeah. started with yeah. paratroopers. Yeah. And shit. He once wrote, I wish I'd become a doctor or a lawyer. Anything constructive. Anything that didn't put me face to face with death. Hmm. Just, you could. I mean, you had every opportunity. You were born into a manor and had your own building by yeah. the time you were 16. Yeah, bro, it was good. But he just couldn't focus on anything but loud music and fucking with a brief pit stop at cruelty. He just had no ambitions beyond those. And why would he when the girls were lining up around the block to have a shot with him? Yeah. On the night of May 31st, 1964, 15-year-old high school sophomore Aline Rowe had it rough. Aline was a new student and had recently and unfortunately befriended a girl named Mary French, mm. who was a bit of a known trash bag, and she loved Charles Schmitty. Aline's mother had just gotten a sloppy divorce and was looking for a fresh start across the country in the desert. One of Aline's favorite pastimes since moving out there was walking in the desert and picking up unusual stones. Yeah, walking in the desert, eh? Just having a nice little stroll out there. It is beautiful out in the oh, desert. okay. Absolutely. I just think I just think I'm hot. You about to die if you don't get out of that bit so But maybe I need to stop thinking like that. Well, that's open desert. I'll tell you what. Don't just go ambling out into the desert, all right? <laughs> but if, let's say you're at a campground, mm -hmm. and you just go walk on the trails, and it's like, okay, holy okay, shit. Okay, so they got trails. Oh, absolutely. Okay, cool. Absolutely. 
The desert's a beautiful part of the country. Me and you will go there one day. The fucking scorpions and shit. There are. I have seen scorpions. I have seen tarantulas, and I froze. No. <laughs> froze. <laughs> I, I can't believe you even want to go again. We pulled up to the campground at like midnight, and that was after driving all day from Minnesota. When mm. I went down there with Casey, and we're unpacking and stuff, and I'm terrified everything i see moving in that's, the corner of it. my eye is that's it a snake a spider whatever. that's it <laughs> and then his casey's brother-in-law says hey you guys want to see a tarantula and i i was like haha you're so funny and then i walk over two feet and they're sitting right under the truck is a fucking giant spider you but can't, you can't sleep you can't. but once we got in the rv had everything locked down I felt a little safer. That's good. <laughs> Looking around everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. And hey, why it. you keep making your bed? <laughs> I just need to be nice as I can be, man, before I go to bed. You know, like campground showers, like communal shower. There's mm-hmm. like a shower building. I got to tell you, I never had more shampoo in my eyes than when I was fucking taking a shower in that building. Damn. I was looking all over the place. Like, is there a scorpion? Is there a fire ant? I mean, What's definitely going on could here? Be, it's scary. Could walk in that bitch. Why not? It happens all the time. That's where they're supposed to be. We're the ones that put the building there. Mm -hmm. Not us, but people. Aline's number one goal in life was to become an oceanographer. And with her stellar GPA, she had a real shot at it. The blonde-haired, blue-eyed sweetie quickly attracted the attention of Mary's lover, Mm. Schmitty. Oceanographer is person to take pictures of oceans nope that would be like an ocean <laughs> photographer an oceanographer is a scientist that studies like the ecosystems of the ocean the, no. all that kind of stuff like the science of the ocean which at the time would be taking pictures yeah. <laughs> being, a, being an ocean photographer yeah being an ocean fucking photographer at the time that's exactly what she was doing that was her ambition in life and with her gpa that's, and that's exactly that's what i'm saying like you want to do that you want to do that and but now that's nice because we got a lot of technology now oh yeah you know what i'm saying but back then you yeah that's you're just staring at the ocean I imagine they put you in one of those old-timey diver suits with, like, the the cross on the front. Oof. Brutal. One afternoon, Charles Schmidt told Mary to bring Aline around for a double date with his pal John Sanders. Mm. Aline politely refused the date, but Smitty would not be denied. He arrived in front of her house that evening with Saunders on the passenger side. Earlier, Smitty had been talking to Mary about his desire to kill someone, specifically a girl. He said he wanted to know what it felt like to snuff out a life and to see if he could get away with it. He'd made up a list of candidates, and Aline was on the top. Well, what a bitch. His plan was to lure her into a desolate place and bash her skull in with a rock and bury her there. Do it right. Kill a dude. Yeah, kill a man. The most dangerous Let's Let's see. And tell him you're going to kill him. And let's see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Watch that motherfucker fuck you Mm -hmm. (laughs) up. Fucking makeup wearing mole man. Take your boots off unless you man. Actually, put your boots on so I can hit you harder. (laughs) I can hit you harder. Mary decided to not try and dissuade Charles, but instead she lied every time he asked her to get a lean around. Mm -hmm. Finally, Charles apparently gave up on a lean, but instructed Mary that she needed to find a replacement. His blood was up, and he wanted to kill that night. Mm Mm-hmm. Mary couldn't think of anyone, so she went to where Aline usually hung out, ran into her, and finally convinced her to go on that double date. When Mary reported back to Saunders and Schmitty, 
They were stoked mm. and immediately put a shovel in the trunk of the car. <laughs> they drove around until Aline's mother went to her night shift and Mary went over and rapped on the window. Aline came out barefooted and climbed in the back seat with her date, John Saunders. She had curlers in her hair and everything like that. The mom would make sure that she was in bed before she would go to work, right? right. So she had all the stuff on as if she were in bed and then was just going to change in the car. Right. So that way she could sneak right back in the window mm -hmm. afterwards. They drove out to the desert by Golf Links Road, where mm -hmm. they liked to drink and make out with girls. They all walked out a little bit and found a spot they could hang out and talk. Soon, Smitty asked Mary to join him back to the car to grab a radio. Next, Mary and Smitty heard Aline screaming, and Smitty ran back down to help. Saunders was struggling with the teen, and Smitty told him to get his hand over her mouth. Smitty bound her arms behind her back with a guitar string, while Aline kept asking why they were doing this. Right. Smitty quietly said, Mary wants us to. She hates your fucking guts. <laughs> Why would he? Aline kept resisting, so they led her further into the desert. Charles Smitty instructed John to take the girl's clothes off, but with her arms tied up with a string, it was impossible. What a bitch, bro. Why would you lie to her? You about to kill her anyway. Like, just What's say, the point? Yeah. Are you that cowardly that yeah. you can't lie to a doomed woman? Yeah, in her face, bro. To say that you wanted to do this? Yeah. Aline was untied and stripped, then forced to lay in the sand. He told John to go ahead, but she was crying so much he couldn't even kiss her. Smitty told Saunders to take a walk. Charles raped her, then called out for Saunders to come back and bring Mary, but Mary, of course, refused to get out of the car. Hell yeah. So John came back to see Aline re-robing. She walked into the bushes a little for privacy, and Smitty handed John a large pointed rock. Mm -hmm. John couldn't do it and wordlessly walked back to the car to wait with Mary. Minutes later, John thought better of it and ran back to Smitty's location. He saw Aline sprawled in the sand, blood gushing out of her head and face. Then Smitty came into view, hands and shirts soaked with blood. He asked why Mary hadn't come with and went up to speak with her. He said, Mary, we killed her. I love you very much. Mm. He had an absolute manic energy about him. She didn't want to go down there because he thought, like, damn, I might be next. W wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I've never been a girl before, but I imagine yeah. if there's two dudes that are both, like, up for girl killing, and then one of them's not up for it, I would be, like, trying to stick with that guy. Mm -hmm. And that seems like what she tried to do there. Smitty grabbed the shovel out the trunk and quietly convinced Mary that John had been the one to strike Aline with the rock and got him to accompany her back to the murder site. Aline was clearly dead when they arrived and Smitty tossed Saunders the shovel while he started manic hyper-digging with just his hands. He was so excited about what he had done that yeah. he was like, I don't need that shovel, motherfucker. I'm amped. Then I get this shit done faster than you. Like, mm. go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, psycho. Mary, why did you kill that guy? They kill that bitch. <laughs> he told you that? We gotta kill this motherfucker. Uh, yeah. Why does he lie to I don't everybody? know, bro. That well, shit's crazy to me. I, I can mean, kind of tell you yeah, why. But because he he wants like everybody implicated at the same level, mm -hmm. you know he he wants to do this stuff, but he wants to drag everybody mm -hmm. else down with him. Smitty grabbed Aline's hands, and he had Mary grab the feet, and together they lifted the body into the shallow grave. They dumped her clothes on top of her and covered her with sand. After they felt they'd secured the scene and discarded the evidence, they thoroughly wiped down the car for Aline's fingerprints. They invented and memorized their story about how Aline agreed to the date 
but when they showed up to get her, she backed out. Mm -hmm. Then they dropped off Mary and went home. The next day, Norma Rowe, Aline's mother, made... That's not a good story, neither, by the way. That you showed up, she said no, and then you left? Yeah, and then y'all dropped her back at the crib like the night is over? Well, seeing how she ain't come out, we'll just drop you. That makes no sense. Fuck it. Because you still want to go out and have fun. One might be a third wheel, but hey, we still finna make this shit happen. As long as everyone's fine with that. Yeah. As long as everybody knows that you're gonna be a third wheel. Because we're still gonna have liquor. We're still all boys. Yeah. So that makes no, that that story. It's a bad story. And to rememberize it. I mean, that's a good thing because if if it all, if everybody said the same shit, that's good too. That's a, that's an iron wall. Yeah. You can't break through that. Exactly. The next day, Aline's mother, Norma Rowe, made every effort to locate her daughter without going into a panic, but soon gave in and called the police. Norma worked as a night nurse, and when she left for her shift the night before, her daughter had been safely tucked into bed. Norma told the officer about a sex club at the high school her daughter had told her about Hmm. that involved perversions, drugs, and organized prostitution. The cop practically laughed in her face. That was the most fairy tale shit he'd ever heard of. <laughs> and why would the daughter even? Well, the daughter knew because they're new. She's new to the school, uh-huh. right? And this is true. I mean, Schmitty turned these girls out. You know what I mean? Like, mm. had crazy parties where. But why would you tell her, your mama about? Because this she shit? didn't want to be you're involved. Going. She didn't want to be involved. That was too much of it for her it's like you snitching on yourself in a sense snitching on others to keep herself safe i would tell my fucking mom if there was a sex cult going on at my school sex cult though that's different that's what this is a oh, sex okay. club you said sex club that's different than a cult they're kids and they're hanging out with adults and fucking and doing drugs mm. that's no good put this, put this mask no bueno. on. yeah 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 they're cult. That's what I'm thinking about when you say cult. When, no. I, when you say club, though, I'm we'll like, cover, okay. We'll cover yeah, some cults. Yeah, clubs All and right. cults. <laughs> Mary French was questioned, as were Smitty and John, but they all stuck with their alibi. A week later, Aline's father called his ex-wife and told her about a dream he'd had that their daughter had been killed and buried in the desert. Damn. Norma took this very seriously and begged the police to start looking. Of course, the cops wanted a little more concrete evidence than a dream before they started turning over an entire desert. When nothing turned up as the calendar turned to March, Norma went to the state's attorney general and contacted the FBI for help. She called reporters and never gave up despite the official statement that Aline Rowe was just another statistical teen runaway. Norma was soon silenced and buried under more pressing police business. Mm Mm-hmm. John Saunders joined up with the Navy, and that left a vacancy for the new closest friend. Richie Burns took up that mantle and soon started aping Smitty, dressing like him, talking like him, and Richie considered the two to be closer than brothers. Of course, Smitty didn't really care. He just yeah. he didn't mind having a lackey. Richie was not the brightest, and that was perfect for Smitty. Yeah. Richie never finished the 10th grade and had spent two long stints of his childhood at the Fort Grant Reform These School. motherfuckers show know how to choose these other motherfuckers, dude. Weak-minded, it's like impressionable. Just, it's like, remember that bug zapper thing? The bug just goes into the light. That's Psst. what it's like. Mm-hmm. Like bugs, like a moth to the flame, as they say. Mm. Richie had only dated four girls in his life, 
And all four had walked out the door because of how fucking awkward and socially inept he was. He looked up to Smitty like he was a golden god, and Smitty allowed him deeper into his activities. I get it, bro. Like, this dude getting all the women, and you all four of your chicks walked out on you. And and I, and when you first said that, I thought it was just like, oh, we just don't like you. But it's like, no, like, dude, your, your cues are off. Yeah. You don't know how to, you, you're barely talking. Oof. And when you do, it's something stupid that just don't make me, it make me want to put more clothes on. And so I get it. This and ain't making me yeah, grip. Yeah, that's sad, bro. And I see why he would gravitate. The dude, like, he probably is stupid, but he probably smart enough to know, like, this first of all, yeah. five chicks at a time. Yeah, and you're hideous. <laughs> and you still get these chicks and you're hideous, bro. I need to know. I need to, I need to know. That's He's probably got a me. column in GQ. You mm, know? The column. Or Maxim. Smitty even told Richie all about Aline Rowe. But Richie was used to Smitty's tall tales and didn't really believe him that much. Mm. In July 1964, Smitty saw a drop-dead gorgeous 16-year-old at a swimming pool near Speedway Avenue in Tucson. She was blonde and thin, and her name was Gretchen Fritz. Other boys told Smitty that she was absolute trouble and nothing but a heartbreaker to every boy she dated, but that only made Charles more horny. Smitty followed Gretchen home and saw that she lived in an upper-class neighborhood Mm -hmm. in what he considered a mansion. Her dad was a heart and chest specialist at a research hospital and also sat on the board of Union Bank. Where was heart and chest at this time? The progression of... Hmm. You know, I don't know. Because we're still... I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure he was still getting paid. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Anytime you're doing, like, cutting-edge research stuff. But I can't imagine... But this is not oceanography, though. This is better. They were doing real research, I imagine. Yeah, exactly, bro. Where people's lives were at (laughs) stake. Not oceanography, bro. Mm -mm. Well, Aline's already dead. (laughs) I'm sorry. You you cut that out, too. (laughs) No. (laughs) Gretchen did not fit in with her stuck-up family. Mm -hmm. She hated boys and admired prostitutes for their ability to charge for what most boys expect for free. One of Gretchen's teachers called her a psychopathic liar. Her private school principal recommended psychiatric treatment before expelling her, and one of her friends noticed her truly insane jealousy complex. She barely showed up at school, preferring to cruise speedway, and she was suspected in a few minor crimes. So this is right up Smitty's alley, too. Oh, yeah, this is her. Tall, blonde, and thin, Mm -hmm. just the way he likes them. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Smitty met her by walking right up to her front door with armfuls of pots and pans, telling her he was a traveling salesman. Hmm. He went through with the charade for a while, then confessed that he'd made the whole thing up as an excuse to talk to her. She laughed, then cried, then invited him in for a drink. Smitty was confused, but very aroused. As they got to know each other, Gretchen told Smitty that she was pregnant, her family hated her, and that she had a brother-in-law involved with the Tucson Mafia. After they had sex, Gretchen assumed Charles would just ghost her, but he didn't. Instead, he went the exact opposite direction, saying he loved her. I boot up. They started hanging out as a mutually exclusive couple. Of course, he was mutually exclusive with at least three other girls at the time, mm-hmm. including Mary French and another named Darlene Kirk. Mm-hmm. He made all of them false promises of marriage, 
But what he really wanted was for them to have jobs and deposit their earnings into his joint <laughs> bank account. So he wanted to be a pimp. That's it, yeah. yeah. Darlene Kirk eventually had enough and gave back her cheap-ass ring, but Richie Burns was desperately in love with her. Hmm. Gretchen Fritz and Smitty got into constant fights about the other girls he was seeing, and she was absolutely disgusted by Richie Burns. <laughs> After some time... Wait, you argued about somebody you don't even... Richie Burns ain't got nothing to do with this, but she just wanted to make sure that she let him know. I need you to know yeah. how disgusting <laughs> that Richie after, Burns is. And that was after the whole argument of, between Smitty and her. And I just want to let you know, Richie, that you were ugly as fuck. <laughs> and you've dated four girls. I'm Damn. not even dating you, and I'm Damn. walking out on you. Damn. Richie got it bad, bro. Richie's awkward. Yeah. Wish you weren't so fucking awkward, bud. After some time, Smitty tried breaking it off with Gretchen, but Gretchen wasn't having it. Mm -hmm. He tried several more times, but Gretchen would not let him dump her. Hmm. One day, Richie asked Smitty why this girl had gotten in his head so much when no other girl had ever come close. Hmm. Well, Smitty explained that Gretchen was in on the secret of who killed Aline Rowe. She'd also stolen his diary, which had descriptions of him killing a 16-year-old boy years back and burying his hands in the desert. Gretchen was holding both of these things over his head like an axe, mm -hmm. and it was annoying the fuck out of him. He began thinking out loud of ways to hurt her, including having Richie throw acid in her face. <laughs> but Smitty canceled that plan because he might not be attracted enough to fuck her after they broke up. Gretchen heard about a few of the other girls his fiance was actively engaged to, and she had to do something. When she went on vacation with her parents, Smitty threw an insane multi-day rager. Gretchen showed back up early, however, and flipped the fuck out. Mary French was also at the party and demanded Smitty marry her immediately and be a proper father to the baby she was about to deliver. Mm. Gretchen, on his other side, claimed to be pregnant and wanted to hear Smitty's plan for that one. Damn. All of them argued, but soon Gretchen got him alone and convinced him to run away with her. <laughs> no, she didn't. Smitty laughed in her fucking face, yeah, which yeah. prompted her to run out of the party screaming, Smitty, you rat! <laughs> you should have known that was going to happen. He was dating for you, bitches. You thought you were the favorite one? Mm -hmm. What are you, crazy? He doesn't have a favorite one. He's a psychopath. One smartened up, though. Yeah, sweet Darlene Kirk. Mm-hmm. She's smarting the fuck up. That very same evening, August 16th, 1965, Gretchen and her 13-year-old sister Wendy left the house at 7.30 p.m. to go see the new Elvis movie called mm. Tickle Me. Elvis. Oh. They never return. Damn. Their father, Dr. Fritz, hired a private detective named William Hellig, who turned up Gretchen's red and white Pontiac Le Mans parked behind the Flamingo Hotel on Speedway Avenue. How was the camera situation at this <laughs> this concert? Oh, uh, it was a movie. Elvis was also a movie actor. But how was, like, you know, the camera, the surveillance there? Inside this, the, the movie concert. theater? Yeah. Non-existent. Yeah. Zero existence. What you to say? How was it? How was this? How was the technology? Oh. Hey, can you scroll in and shit? Oh, uh, yeah. Enhance. Yeah. Enhance. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the highest technology they had was a milk jug. Ooh. Ooh. Slap you up on there. There were traces of mud and gravel in the front and rear seats of the Le Mans, 
and 60 more miles on the odometer than there mm. should have been. Mm-hmm. Also, the odometer had been disconnected. Gretchen's purse was in the car with $20, her ticket for the movie, her keys, and a business card from Smitty advertising a failed upholstery shop he had started. <laughs> However, no witnesses had physically seen the car being parked, and Private Eye Helig turned up no further leads. Hmm. The police received a report that the two sisters had been seen hitchhiking in the direction of Nogales. They were picked up by a car headed down to Mexico, and across the border, several witnesses saw the girls get on a bus bound for Hermosillo. A deep search through Mexican tourist towns failed to turn up anything. Mm -hmm. Police had to finally give up and report that the girls were simply runaways. runaways. Why would you run away from your rich-ass family? Dude, everybody can't be runaways. No, bro. somebody's got to be murdered. Yeah, for yeah, fuck's sake. Yeah, bro. Like, uh, or abducted. They can't all run away. Yeah. The just, kids are stupid as fuck, but Jesus, they can't all yeah. run away. I mean, some of them got heads, good heads on their shoulders mm-hmm. and, and realized they, yeah. what the gifts it's, they have. Yeah. And I'm not going to run away. Whatever you do to me, I'm not finna run away, G. Like, I gotta get I'll be here. Yeah, I'll be there. At least until I'll I'm 18, around. I'll be here. And if you think I won't be, oh, I got a CPS for you. <laughs> you gotta put a GPS on your motherfucking Ooh. child now. And then watch PBS. Ooh. So they can watch uh, Molly of Denali. Mm, Molly of Denali. Or uh, Ky- Kylo. Both Smitty and Richie were questioned relentlessly by Hellig. He knew Charles Schmid was holding on to something juicy. Mm. Initially, Smitty told his best pal Richie that the girls had driven away for good in Gretchen's Le Mans. That made sense to Richie, as he'd seen the car drive by his place at about midnight the night of the disappearance. (laughs) But Smitty just couldn't sit on that sharp egg. He needed to brag about what he'd done. One day, when Richie stopped by for a chat, Charles calmly admitted to killing both girls himself right here in the house they were currently in. Mm. This wasn't the first time Richie heard his pal make up tall tales to appear evil. Once, Smitty had told Richie the tale of Aline Rowe and John Sanders, but Richie, of course, didn't believe it. Mm. Unfortunately, this time, everything Smitty said was true. Mm-hmm. He'd strangled both girls and put them in the trunk of the Le Mans and left them out in an obvious place before he parked the car. Because he just didn't care anymore. Then he abandoned and wiped down the car. Mm. He also added that the killing got easier each time he did it. It's very likely Smitty never would have gotten caught for this if he wouldn't have told Richie, because an incident was about to occur here Mm. that shook Richie down to his very core. Mm. One day, a group of large, black-haired, slick men Mm. known as the Tucson Mafia paid a visit to Richie and Smitty. They leaned pretty damn hard on the pair to get the location of the girls. Smitty told police that he heard they ran off for San Diego, and the Tucson Mafia knew this. They were right now arranging a trip for Smitty and Richie to go to San Diego and help them search mm, for the girls. That's because they're about to fuck them up. They said, if they either you, you find, find them, her or you don't yeah, come back. back. Exactly. <laughs> you are dead. Because she, they know. The Tucson Mafia, huh? Genius. They finna get some shit done. Let's see. The wise guys told them, pack a bag. And be ready to go. They'll be back shortly. Richie, freaked beyond belief, mm-hmm. told Smitty he should call the FBI Organized Crime Division. And for some fucking reason, he did it. 
He for real? When he failed to get through to anybody, Smitty hung up and suggested they go bury the bodies of Gretchen and Wendy in a place a little less obvious than where they were. He had just like tucked them off on the wash in a desert, basically. Like Pretty a much ditch. eventually they'll be sane. Easily. Yeah. Like within a day. Yeah. So he just kicked them out and Pretty, it's just wiped a taking a taking time bomb in a sense. Just waiting for somebody to Oh, they found these good women. Richie still didn't take them seriously and thought they were going to a bar to brainstorm about where the girls were and how they could get out of going to San Diego with the mafia. They split up. Smitty told Richie to meet him in an hour at a local drinking spot in the desert off Speedway. As soon as Smitty opened the trunk at the spot, Richie realized his buddy was a psychopath. Mm. Richie walked to where Smitty was kneeling and saw a black form. He was told it was Gretchen, but she was so badly decomposed, Richie couldn't be sure. Her legs were tied together with a rag. Younger sister Wendy wasn't far away, but uh, all Richie could make out for certain was a mound of sand with a leg and foot sticking out of it. Schmitty's stupid. Oh, yeah. Dude, this dude... I don't know why. Richie? Richie. He was smart enough to gather his thoughts and say, bro, we need to call the FBI, bro. Like, he's already trying to snitch. Yeah. So you show him this body? What you think he's going to do, bro? Smitty had Richie wipe Gretchen's shoes for fingerprints and then had him remove and wipe Wendy's shoes out of the grave before chucking them into the desert. Richie dug a hole while Smitty drug the body further out. They buried it but left Wendy's corpse where it lay. Now, Smitty told Richie, they were both just as implicated as each other in these murders. Right here... Richie became convinced that the woman he was madly in love with, Darlene Kirk, was on Smitty's hit list, as she'd given him back his engagement ring. Richie began patrolling her house to protect her and to keep other boys from talking to her. When her screen door was cut open, Darlene's pop suspected Richie, but Richie suspected Smitty. Richie was going so far as hiding in trash cans and people were really getting scared of him. Darlene's father came out with an air gun, but Richie told him he wished it was a real gun so he could be put out of his misery. Smitty started dating 15-year-old Diane Lynch, who weighed less than 90 pounds fully clothed. Smitty decided that uh, she was the perfect size, and for her part, she fell madly in love with the man. On their very first date, he asked for her hand in marriage, and she said, okay. <laughs> Just like a kid. She ain't say yes, Okay. Yeah. For some reason now, along with his makeup, fake mole, and boots, he was also wearing a plaster patch band-aid across his entire nose, claiming he'd broken it. Mm-hmm. He was even wearing it on their wedding day, October 24th, 1965. Richie, for his part, he could not believe that Smitty would just forget about the girls they'd killed and move on with his life. Mm-hmm. Richie's own guilt manifested in his bizarre mania in protecting Darlene Kirk. He made some threats to Darlene's dad and was arrested. He was sentenced not to jail, but to leave town for three months in the hopes that his infatuation would start to lessen. He went to stay with his grandma in Ohio, where he quickly broke down and confess to everything. Mm, we knew that was going to happen. Of course, he's a weak link mm. and an awkward idiot. I don't know, just, I don't know, I don't want to call him a weak link. Oh yeah, he's a regular we, person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bro, because a lot of people can't handle that though. Like killing, 
like, like, and then I don't want to say wink link though, because especially him too. And that does like, you want to put him in that wink link kind of zone. I mean, and but, that's why he scouted him too. Yeah. Because he's a wink Yeah. Link. But ah, it's still hard for me to do that to him because he's, he's he doing is, the right thing. And yeah. He didn't actually kill anyone. Maybe just, just say that. Yeah. But he's doing the right he's thing. He's doing the right thing now. Tucson PD flew Richie back down to show them the bodies. He told them about John Sanders and Mary French as well. Mm-hmm. Police found the skeletal remains of the Fritz sisters, mm-hmm. bits of clothing, and clumps of hair. It was now time to confront our killer. <laughs> November 10th, the cops came up to arrest Smitty. Mm-hmm. He was working in his front yard. Initially, he thought the car slowly circling the block was the mafia, and he went inside. He was almost relieved when it was just the police kicking in his door to apprehend him. Mm-hmm. As he was being dragged from the house, he yelled for his young wife to wake up his mom. Catherine Schmidt would take good care of this situation. After getting Smitty in the squad car, a detective came back to search the house. Catherine was up and activated, and she barred the door with her arm, repeatedly saying the word, Warrant! And then she called a lawyer. At the police station, Richie's confession tapes were played for Smitty, who continued to proclaim his innocence. They brought Richie into the room, hoping the confrontation would lead to confession, but the two men just stared icily at each other. The only thing Smitty said was, I know why you're doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, Smitty. (laughs) Well played, my dude. Well fucking played. Ancient Chinese super, huh? (laughs) That would have been better. (laughs) Bro, he hit him with the... I know why you're doing this. I just got to put one place. I know why you're doing this. (laughs) What a bitch. Mm. Still, Smitty kept claiming innocence and Mm. said he would prove it in trial. He was charged with the murders of the Fritz sisters, and at booking, they asked him to remove his boots, which he was, of course, reluctant to do. (laughs) When he finally did, he was several inches shorter. And when the press came in for photos, Smitty sat straight down and refused to stand up until every last camera had left. Damn. That's a real, like, self-doubt. Yeah. Smitty was held without bail until the hearing, set to open December 13th. (laughs) One officer was sent to Connecticut to get John Saunders, and another was sent to Texas to grab Mary French. Mm. Once Mary was informed that Smitty had gotten married, she gave a full statement of what she knew about Aline Rowe. Saunders also gave confession and reiterated that it was Schmid that did any raping, beating, or killing. Mm. Smitty was taken to the Rowe murder site but was unable to locate the grave, nor were Mary or John. The area was dug up at large and searched every which way but nothing came of it. <laughs> Sheriff Burr believes a hurricane in 1964 washed the bones to another location. (laughs) County Attorney Green said he would proceed to trial with or without a body. He had precedent, and he would exploit it. At the preliminary hearing, Saunders pled guilty to first-degree murder. Mary French pled guilty to accessory to murder, and both agreed to help the state by testifying against Schmid. With all this in mind... Saunders was sentenced to life in prison with parole in seven years. And Mary French was charged with accessory and concealing and compounding a felony. She'd be parole eligible in four to five years. And really, they didn't do any of the killing. You know, Mary sat in the car. John came back and saw the aftermath. But they did also keep it quiet. 
they never snitch. Yeah. And they allowed the Fritz yeah. sisters to be killed yeah. by not snitching. And they never talked about it ever again. And yeah. then Schmitty moved on. They forgot about Kept them. Kept going. Because yep. they, they was out of the story. One's in Texas, one's in Connecticut. Yeah. It, Connecticut. So these, And I'm still stuck on the whole thing about hurricanes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Where, where is Hawaii? Arizona. Like, bro, I, it's the goddamn desert out there, brother. Like, <laughs> Come on, Sheriff Burr. What are you thinking, man? Yeah, I'm, I was like, I'm like, man, am I wrong? Did I hit a story wrong? Like, well, is this another L.A. thing? Maybe. Then maybe. Like, but nope. that shit usually happens in Florida. Yeah. Or, yeah, the West Coast gets them sometimes. Yeah, so, yeah maybe. Florida and the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. why I said East maybe. Coast, you know. But you usually don't hear it over there. You talking about. Yeah, because the Pacific Ocean is typhoons, right? Whereas mm. the Atlantic Ocean is hurricanes. You got maybe. me, my dude. Yeah, I got me. T- I mean, I got we, me, too. We need to go holler at that oceanographer, but. We, R.I.P. We don't know how Schmidt's trial for the murders of Gretchen and Wendy Fritz was scheduled for February 15th, 1966, and the state was going for the death penalty. His trial for the murder of Aline Rowe was set to open exactly one month later on March 15th, and the state would also be seeking the death penalty. Mm. Smitty arrived at the Pima County Courthouse on February 15th wearing a herringbone suit and tan trousers. What is a herringbone suit? Uh, Okay, it's a pattern. All right. It's a pattern mm-hmm. of suit. It's a it's pretty common, pretty standard, especially at this time. I'll post a picture of him in his herringbone mm-hmm. suit. Yes. His clothes look pretty nice. And to his horror, he heard several people remark on how damn short he was. Smitty's lawyer, Bill Tinney, filed a motion to bar the press from the trial. That was denied. So the place was chock full of reporters. Bill Schaefer was chosen as lead prosecutor, and the Honorable Lee Garrett presided. Thirty witnesses were to testify for the state to prove premeditation of the Fritz sister murders in order to cover up the Aline Rowe murder. So basically, he killed the two girls because they knew he killed Aline Rowe with Mary Saunders, Mm. Mary French and John Saunders back in the day. Mm. That's what they're trying to get across here. Schaefer then outlined what he believed happened which was almost word for word how Richie described it. Obviously, I know what you're going to say, defense attorney Tinney turned this on its ear, casting doubt and saying Richie was the one with something to hide. And now Richie was obviously trying to finger his friend Schmitty for murders that he'd actually committed. All you have to do is cast cast a reasonable doubt, right? Mm. Unless you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Schmitty did it, Richie probably did it. That's what Bill Tinney's trying Mm. to say. Nancy Fritz, the mother, ID'd her daughter's articles of clothing found in the Mm. desert and added that Gretchen was fond of Schmid, but absolutely hated that creep Richie. Even her mom knew that she hated Richie. Everybody down on Richie. I feel sorry (laughs) for this girl, bro. He's got to bring some of it on himself. I feel sorry for this dude, bro. When John Saunders got to the stand, he pleaded the fifth to every question, to which Tinney objected, and Saunders was removed. So that was worthless. Mm. We'll see you when you go up for parole in seven years. If this dude go to jail, bro, you might as well hang yourself. Like, if you lose this, like, even the court system say, like, dude, Richie, you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> you're a dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even help yourself, you make dick. Sure, you're going to make sure you burn for this. <laughs> Richie. <laughs> we're going to make sure. Oh, poor Richie. Yeah. Oh, damn. 
Mary French was next up, and Tinney once again objected, this time on the grounds that she could only testify about a crime that had no body. But his honor wasn't having it, so she gave a full account of the Aline Rowe murder on the stand. Mm. Then Richie was up. He spoke evenly and kept his eyes on his former best friend as he described the events he'd experienced. Tinney couldn't do much to counter this story, but he did get Richie to admit that he held ill will towards Gretchen. That could mm. help cast a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm. The prosecution rested, and Tinney called for a mistrial on the basis that no evidence had been produced. But Judge Garrett said the evidence was not weak from a legal standpoint. I mean, somebody's got to go to jail for this. Somebody has to. We we got all the reporters out. Yeah. We got a jury out There's here. There's too many dead girls and too much shit. And you implicated and you're implicated because he said you were. And you're implicated because you just you, knew where these bodies were. That's right. Beautiful. He's This dude, if the, Richie, if you burn in hell for this, even, oh my God, the world just didn't like you. My the dude. world failed you. Or yeah. you failed the world. One of the mm-hmm. three. <laughs> the defense's closing arguments were absolutely worthless. Charles Schmid Sr. took the stand and it's completely over. destroyed the alibi Tinney was pushing that Schmidty was with his parents the night of the murders. He denied it, saying he was having a party at his house and his son was definitely not there. Mm. After a few more forgettable, bumbling defense witnesses, both sides rested and the jury filed to the deliberation room. Just two hours later, they shuffled back in with the verdict. Guilty. Penalty of death. And that was only Smitty's first trial. Due to clerical issues, the Aline Rowe case was postponed until October 4th, 1966. And this was a problem, as Smitty was set to be lethally injected on June 17th. The court was forced to postpone execution date indefinitely pending appeals. In June, famous weasel defense attorney F. Lee Bailey was brought on by the Schmids. Mm -hmm. Bailey used the retainer money on the best polygraph technician on the market and sweated Schmid for 10 straight hours, saying, If the results showed Schmidty to be lying, I simply would have handed the results over to his parents and washed my hands of the whole case. So he wanted to make sure that his the client he was about to represent was telling him the truth. Mm. He and Tinney attempted to get the trial moved out of state because of jury contamination. Mm. Obviously, everyone's heard of it in Arizona mm. by now. But they only managed to get it postponed again until April 3rd and then once again to May 10th. I wonder what they be thinking. Like, no, dude, we not finna move this. Yeah. Like, we got them. Yeah. Hashtag. Just, just relax. We'll get another jury in there. We'll keep picking them yeah, until you're happy. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you, it will be held here. Yeah, this will be not going to waste the money. They don't even want. They want to waste the money for a lot of shit. Bailey flew in the day before the trial, mm. prepped with the old corpus delecti defense. Coincidentally, from last episode, which means no body, no murder. Mm. You can't prove a murder if there's no fucking body. And it's the hurricane thing, right? This, this is, is the, the okay. hurricane. Yeah, oh, right. Aline Rowe. Right. Yep. They need to get back out there. They got to <laughs> find this yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. Bailey and Tinney tried getting the charges reduced to second-degree murder, mm-hmm. and it took some doing, but mm-hmm. Prosecutor Schaefer finally went for it. Now, the tough part was convincing Schmid to plead guilty to second-degree. It wasn't easy, and Smitty tried firing both his lawyers instead. The judge wouldn't allow it. Mm. Finally, though, they broke through to him that this was the only deal that gave him the slightest hope. So he pled guilty, 
and was immediately convicted. Mm -hmm. A few days later, Schmid wrote to the judge and asked for a new trial, saying his lawyers had coerced a guilty plea out of him as they thought the case was doomed from the start and they didn't want to blemish their record. He said he could produce Aline Rowe's remains and prove she wasn't killed with a blow to the head, as was alleged in John mm -hmm. Saunders' statement. On June 23rd, after a few failed attempts, Smitty led the sheriffs to Aline's remains. They weren't blown away by a hurricane, mm. go figure. An autopsy proved that there were indeed fractures and dried blood in the base of the skull. He had absolutely beaten her in the head with a mm -hmm. rock. Oh well. File that one under W for worth a shot. Man. The case of Aline Rowe was finally solved. Smitty attempted escape while sitting on death row by sneaking into a hollowed out pommel horse and got caught. Mm -hmm. Then he used a fake suicide attempt that also didn't work. In 1971, he actually did escape, but was spotted by a railroad worker he'd gone Damn. to school with and promptly returned to the prison. <laughs> he strutted around the place like he was the cock of the walk, superior to other guys. One day, two of those other guys beat the absolute shit out of him. Yeah. He was found stabbed in a pool of his own blood with a sucking chest wound that did not respond to surgery. He was Damn. also missing his right eye. He'd been stabbed 20 total times in the chest and face. Ten days after the attack, while still in the hospital, his body failed. Everybody got a turn. That's what it sounds like. Oh. He was pronounced dead on March 30th, 1975, and at the request of his parents, he was cremated and buried in an unmarked prison grave. That is the story of Charles Schmid. I wonder why they unmarked those prison graves. Now I want people to like, why remember worship them. Yeah. Same reason, well, apparently the same reason why they dumped Osama's body, if they no, actually did kill him. But yeah, it was so that he wouldn't become a martyr. His gravesite wouldn't become somewhere other terrorists could come mm -hmm. and pay homage. Mm -hmm. What do you think of Charles? The nut, man. Did you like him? Did you like his boots? <laughs> Did I like him? No. I wish I could see these boots. I you might. Gotta, I'm going to post pictures of his boots. Of his boots? Too? Yeah. You got a deal. Oh, they got pictures. You, you got it all. You got all the stats. I'm going for it. You know? <laughs> Triple double and shit. Everyone's excited. I'm man, excited. I like this too, episode. Bro. I think it's going to be good. Yeah. This is. This dude is a nut, bro. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for all of us here at the, the Bumblebutt Podcast. X, 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 X. My name is Ben Adam. A bomb. It's Ben Herschel. H bomb. And you know, you know, we're going to be back with another one. You know. Don't ask me when. Just know that it's coming because yeah. I love making the show. Mm -hmm. I just need the hours in the do. day to do it, baby. Do, I need baby. the hours. But. We'll be back. We will return, hopefully sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. We'll see you later. Bye. Yeah.